0: Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Reconnective Healing Global Community. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2020, we released an episode with Dr. Eric Pearl and Jillian Fleer about Reconnective Healing. He was a chiropractor who was working in his practice in Los Angeles, and his patients started to report that they were having these healings just with his hands being near them without him actually touching them. So he went on to research and try to find out what this universal wisdom was behind what was happening. And he developed the Reconnective Healing Process. Their website is the reconnection.com and they are offering an online level one class called the Portal to awaken your own healing ability and to learn how to do this. There's over eight hours of interactive content where you will learn to interact with energy, light, and information to experience lasting knowingness, peace, and love without limitations. They gave us a coupon code to give to all of our listeners. It is PATH2PORTAL. We're going to put that in the show notes, and that's 25% off of the Portal Online Level 1 course. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you take it. Send me an email. Would love to know how the course works for you. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. So, this is definitely going to be a podcast for you. If you were looking for some evidence, that there is possibly an afterlife. My guest today has had actually a few near-death experiences. We're gonna learn about her story and what had happened, but she's also had really interesting after-death communication. She was able to help and assist her mother in, in crossing over. She got a pretty outstanding sign from her father when she was kind of in the throes and the depths of depression. And this book is just fantastic. She recently authored the book called Where After. My guest today is Marielle Ford Clark, and she is uh, coming from Ireland, I believe. Is that right, Mariel? That's right. And greetings and blessings to everyone listening, April. It's lovely to be here. Yes. Lovely to have you. And I have to say that some of my favorite guests, I don't know what it is about the dialect or the tone of the accent, but like when I meet people from Ireland and hear their accent, accent, my heart just gets really warm. And same thing with the British. You know, anybody with a good British accent yeah. that I speak to from the United Kingdom, I'm just like, oh, you know, so part of this interview is just going to be me soaking up the sound of your voice because I so badly want to make it to Ireland someday.
1: Oh, well, you're, be always welcome. And as they say in our Irish dialect, a cave meal of fortune will await you, which means one hundred thousand welcomes await you.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. All right. So we've got a lot to cover in this podcast. You have had a couple of near-death experiences. You have had quite the journey in your life. You know, as as I was reading your book, I was like, where do I even start with this woman's journey? Because it actually started at a fairly young age, I believe was when your first near-death experience had happened. So why don't we kind of bring our viewers a little bit through your life? I'd love to just sit back and listen and have you maybe recap, you know, some of these near-death experiences and how that really has brought you to the place of writing this book and really making you feel, I would say, pretty confident that you have evidence to support your belief that there is an afterlife.
1: Well, I suppose uh, when you asked me to recap on my life, it, it would be very hard to recap it in, 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 in brief time. But very briefly, I come from a very rural part of Ireland and my grandmother, my grandmother was extremely psychic. And she had a seventh son of a seventh son, which means they come into this world with extreme psychic gifts as well. And my youngest brother, who who died in 2002, he was extremely psychic and had preempted more or less his own death was going to happen within three weeks. And and he had a very scientific mind because he was a medical administrator in Harley Street in London. So he, you know, his, his mind was very uh, preoccupied with science, but yet he had this huge ability. The other side of his brain was extremely psychic and very, very proficient in, in everything that came to him. And then I suppose I was always used to my grandmother going into to the people come in the back door. You never enter the front door in Ireland because um, first of all, it wasn't a, a welcoming thing, but people would hide coming in for their readings from her. So. I I grew up knowing that there was angels, I knew that there was all spiritual beings around us and I loved nature and and loved the nature little elementals. But there was also when I was fifteen then I had an immense profound spiritual experience with Mother Mary in an old, old abbey where I used to go to school and I used to go into the abbey. And I used to pray, really, it wasn't praying that I that I was so holy or anything, but praying that a teacher wouldn't beat the living crap out of me because, yes, because that actually happened in Ireland, you know, and even though we were adults, we were still, you know, even a few slaps here and there or um, a map would be descended upon you if you didn't know your, your geography. But in saying all of that, this profound, this was a profound experience that has grown in me and with me throughout my life. Mother Mary is one of my Ascended Masters that works with me during my healing modalities. But also then in knowing all of this beautiful angelic presences are around me, I still went on and I studied science and I became a serologist. So, and, and then in, you know, then I had before that I had, a, I had fallen 17 foot off a roof. I was a tomboy and living in the country, you know, there was no difference between boys and girls. You all rumbled it together and he clashed together. And we were like the Bethany Hillbillies gone wrong, really, you know, and it was, it was just, you know, that's the way we were. So, you know, you could be in goals, you could be on the wing player, you could be marking anybody and there could be strong boys in our, in our village. So it was. It was a lovely engagement, but I was always very, I felt I could do anything with the boys, that I was just as strong as they were. So one of the days I took the football and I climbed 17 foot on a drain pipe up onto the flash roof of our home. And I was looking down at them and bouncing the ball and saying, yeah, you know, I have the ball, come up and get me. But I was bouncing it with so much delight. I fell back, lost the footing and went completely back onto seven, uh, from 17 foot onto mass concrete. And it was there that I, I, my body was just like my cage. My rib cage is still protruding to this day. And it was, my arm was, was broken in so many places. But while that was, it was the, my guides have told me since that was an exit point that I choose not to die. That was an exit point. So, too, I experienced an exit point when I was um, drowning in the lake at home. And uh, I, I was a lovely, great swimmer. So I was swimming under from the bigger diving boards to the smaller one. And I was underneath it. You have to go right under it. And I my togs, my swimming togs, got caught in a nail. It looked like, obviously, afterwards a nail. And I was gasping. And that time, nobody, there was no lifeguards. We, this was an open lake. There was no lifeguards. And everybody was minding their own business. Nobody saw that I was underwater and I hadn't come up. And I was gasping for breath. And that gasping for breath, I, was, I knew the light water was going for me very, very quickly. And then all of a sudden, a pair of hands just kind of pushed me backwards and then pushed me forward and right up to the top of the surface of the water. And I looked around gasping, choking. I just say, thank you, because I, I knew it was a male presence and uh, there was nobody there. And nobody had noticed that I had been under the water and saved and not on top of the water. So that, then, my guides have told me, was another exit point that I actually choose, because we have a bit, about four to five exit points. So the real death experience, the NDE, totally came then when I was in 1992. And I'd been diagnosed with a very, very advanced cervical cancer. And at that time, April, I, I really, I, I, I didn't want to live in the the life I was living anyway. So being told I had an advanced form of cervical cancer didn't bother me, but because I was living in a very, very unhappy, dysfunctional marriage, and that time in Ireland, you know, the old cliche: "You made your bed, you lie in it." We had no divorce; we were just initiating. Separation laws. So uh, it was not uh, deemed suitable to air your dirty linen in public. So, you know, we didn't, we we lived in this kind of den of iniquity where our unhappiness was hidden behind closed doors. So uh, when I was told that uh, I didn't mind, I really didn't mind. But then the morning of theatre, obviously, wheeled down after signing all my consent papers. And then at some stage of throughout the surgery, because it was very extensive, a lot apparently had to be removed. And uh, I remember just leaving my body and I floating above it. And I remember looking down and seeing all this commotion going on. And they were trying to get me back. We started taking me. There was nurses, there was doctors. I could still see the this wherever he was. And I was wondering, what's all the fuss about? Sure, I'm fine. I wraps, I'm fine. And then with that, I was catapulted into this. I call it a whirlpool. Like it was just it it was an incredible energy field and it just sucked me in. It was like I was being brought into the nucleus of a god cell. And the colours was just incredible. The peace I felt April. The music, the music that imbued my soul was so profound. I have never forgotten it, and I have never, ever witnessed any music to my physical ears ever since. It is absolutely, it it is, I keep saying it's so beautiful. And it was just, it was the peace. I had no fear, no stress, no worry. I was just held in this God consciousness. And it prevailed my entire being. And this is where I, and I began to feel myself being pulled further into it. And then this hand, this hand came out through this mist of golden light and a big, big hand. And it, that was like a stop sign, go no further. And then all I remember my kind of a thud and I back in my body and I hearing them say, she's back. We've got her back. And it was about two days later that the surgeon came and he said, "You know," he said, "you're one very lucky girl," because he said you were gone. He said we couldn't get you back. I was hemorrhaging outwards, apparently, and and I and he said, "You're somebody must have been minding you," and I just said, "Why the hell didn't you just let me die?" I said, "What's grand over there?" You know, and it was then three months later that I I just couldn't survive been in this unhappiness, this chaotic marriage, and bless my ex-husband, he has been my greatest teacher on Mother Earth since then. Absolutely. And, you know, I just wanted to end it all. I just couldn't live the lie. And the easiest way, rather than going and talking to somebody or telling somebody, you know, I'm living in an abusive relationship, it was easier for me to die. That, That It was so easy. And then I had a plan I was going to drive the car after it was about two in the morning, and like that April, when I think back, it was going to be a revenge suicide, which is not which is not good, the, my guides have told me, doing something in revenge to spite another is, is is not is not a good thing because of the Aaron's karma as well, so it was for me. I just wanted to end it and the pain, just the pain to go away. And that time we had unprotected docklands in our city. So I was just going to hop in the car, drive under the bridge, and then there, put my foot on the accelerator and wow, close my eyes into the sea and everything be over. But as I was going out the door, my image, the image of my beautiful father who had died the year previous. His whole face lit up the door and his hand, the same hand that had stopped me. That's how I know it was him that appeared again. And that, you know, we had, he had a peck name apron for all of us. And mine was Mali, Mali the Kujin, which is a term for the German, Keep your powder dry. And I was, oh my God, it is you, Dada, you know. So then the next thing I know, three hours have passed by. This is going in past five in the morning and I'm shaking, my teeth are chattering, and I have the reality that I was going to end my life with three beautiful babies down in their bedrooms. And I had not rationally thought that through because I was in, the, it was my dark night of the soul, for sure. Yes, I've had, a, I've had many dark nights since, but not the dark night of the soul that I had that night. So the rest kind of is history, April, in the sense that I went then the following morning after I went to a solicitor, two solicitors, and my case lasted six years because, bless him, he was a member of the police force, so knew how to manipulate the law as well. But in saying that, I have asked since my guides, you know, why is it I can't recall where I was for those three plus hours? And they have told me, yeah, they have actually told me that they were restoring my soul energy. They were rebooting my soul, bringing it up, bringing my reserve tank up to optimum so that I could function in the physical world again, so that I could take action, that I could take charge of my life. So because I was so frail and fragile, especially after the extensive surgery, so I was still in recovery. But so they had reassured me that they, they had held me in a vacuum of God' light. And they were sending and putting healing into every cell and atom and organ of my body. So that's nice to know as well. Wow. Fascinating.
0: <laughs> All of it. And I can't believe you just like, you, you, you recapped it in a really short period of time, but there's so much good stuff in there. So let me just go back to the exit point. Okay, because that's really interesting. And you say that everyone has about four to five exit points. So can you just define what is an exit point? What does that mean? And how do you know that we have four to five exit points in our lifetime where we can either choose and, yeah. and I don't know if it's a choice yeah. or if there's like, you know, synchronicity or possibility that we could die?
1: It's or a possibility ready. that from my understanding from my guides is that it's a possibility that if we can die but because our soul hasn't chosen it. Our soul is the highest aspect of the human frailty. And it's our God consciousness. The soul chooses when we come in there and the soul chooses when we leave. And we have preordained this plan in our sacred contract before we enter the earth plane. So sometimes, you know, for the want of a better analogy, sometimes, you know, you will know people that have been in car accidents where they have skidded off a road, went down then in me, turned upside down and rolled over 40 million times. And they still walk away unscathed, <laughs> unharmed. That's an exit point. You can see where people have been, like I was in 2018, how where after came about. skiing. you can fall down a mountain, you can fall into an abyss, and yet you cannot be hurt. That's another exit point. You can... You know, it can be as simple as crossing the road and a bus is just about to hit you and something diverts it. Okay, it's an angel or a guide that the wheel of the bus is switched in the other direction and you're you you're you are there, you're so close to death. So these are exit points. It's where you are so close to death that you could have died, but the soul has chosen. And then when we have these exit points, it's also uh, kind of like it's an appreciation to, oh, my God, that could have been me. I right. could have died there. And it's to imbue ourselves with gratitude for life and for living as well. So what I am, I've been told, and, I, and since I have been told by my guides about these exit points, I also came across them in an ancient book written by, oh, what was her name? Sylvia Brown, many, many years ago. And she has spoken, and I must find it again now that you've asked me, you have, you have titled my my enthusiasm for going back into that book. Uh, and she spoke about exit points. So um, it's fully endorsed by the spirit world, by our guys that there are exit points. But the near-death experience is a different phenomena in the sense that our still before brings us out of the physical earth plane and into another
0: realm of, of supreme consciousness. You must know my list of questions because I have on here to talk about the silver cord. But before we get to that, I I would just want to kind of follow up with this and then let's get to the silver cord. I found it really fascinating in your book where you were talking about like the angelic world and their intervention, you know, which kind of sounded like what happened to you when you were drowning. You felt these hands, you got pushed up. And I believe that you had said that if it isn't our time to die, like usually we have to ask for help of the angelic realm, yes. right? Because they have spiritual will where we have free will. But the angels are allowed to intervene if we are in a situation where death could be imminent, but they know that it's not our time to go. Yes.
1: And, oh, wow. That very well summed up, uh, April. And that is so because some people, you know, often when I'd be running my workshops or my, my night classes, people would be, you know, some of them, you know, be very angry. Angry, well, God isn't there or the angels isn't there. They never helped me. And I will always, always say to them, have you asked? So if you ask, you shall receive. And you see, as you said they are very, very out of April. we have free will. We were, when we came on earth, we had free will. Angels work on dirt spiritual and divine will. So they cannot intervene in our lives, not unless we ask for that help throughout our lives. But there are cases in where the angels will intervene, as you said, if it is not our time, if the time has not been decided by the soul, if it's not our time. Like it wasn't my time during the drowning, it wasn't my time during the fall of the the 17th, fall of the roof. And it wasn't my time when I had the near-death experience. So. There is always that room for angelic intervention. And there are, there is so many wonderful, powerful stories. Oh, and, so and many, e- yeah. yeah. and And even, even April, going back to a few years ago, after I made a full recovery, bless the angels, because they did uh, help me recover. And I, I did a parachute jump for uh, a charity and it was for cancer research in our, in our city. And, uh, the, now, I was always afraid of heights, even though I climbed the 17-foot pipe, drain pipe up onto a flat roof. And you, it was about collecting money for the charity, the organization. But the morning, and my beautiful brother said that he would sponsor me the whole trip, but on one condition, that I jumped without parachute. <laughs> was not very nice. But, but while we were in the hangar waiting to take the... The, the, the plane to bring us up 4,000 feet, you know, we were put in one section, you put into your boiler suit or boiler suit, I called it, flight suit, the next section you put on your, your helmet. And then the next section you were given your parachute. But as I was walking around to get my parachute and he was handing it out and I said, no, thank you. I don't want that parachute. And he looked at me, for God's sake, he said, they're all the same. And he was so annoyed at me. I said, no, I don't want that parachute. So he gave me a different parachute from the bench. He handed the other parachute to my friend that was behind me. And when we got into the plane and did our jump, I I was second out of the plane. My friend, Rosemary, when she jumped, the parachute I'd rejected, her parachute wouldn't open. She had to jettison. The full big parachute and pull on the ripcord for the reserve. Now, had that happened me, April, I would not have done it because I was still I, very emotionally uh, traumatized from that year of what was happening in my life. So I would not have been able to do that. So
0: once again, they saved me. They have saved me many, many times. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, i like you said, there's so many stories, right, of angelic intervention. But what I loved and what you pieced together for me was the reason why they intervene, you know, because clearly it's because it wasn't, you know, the time for the, that person to pass. And, you know, they are able to swoop in. And I don't know, I just feel like that should bring us a lot of comfort because another like beautiful quote that I loved in your book was that you said, we must turn, to the, un, we must turn the unknown into a known, right? So it's like, that's kind of what we're doing here on this podcast. That's what you're doing here with writing your book. You know, every conversation that we're having about, is there proof of an afterlife? Is there life after death? You know, everyone's researching this. It's because it is the unknown. And and what the brain wants to do and what we need is to try to turn the unknown into the known. So, you know, when I read your book and I read that, I was like, OK, well, I feel pretty comfortable now if it's not my time and something were to happen. I have a, a very great feeling that an angel is going to intervene because that sounds like it's one of the laws of the universe. Yes. And, and you see, as we have the physical laws that govern us while we're here on Earth.
1: There are spiritual laws that actually overlay and prevail the entire universe. And we are all part of that great consciousness. And, and you know, the fear of death is, is huge. This is why I started running the workshops. I was guided, of course. It wasn't my big idea. Can't take credit for it. It was the angels that had said to me, you know, the people need to know and to believe that there is a God Consciousness and it doesn't matter what religion you are. It's an afterlife is not just for those that are godly or believe in a religion or believe have a faith path or a particular, whether it's Allah, Buddha, Krishna, Yeru, it does not matter because we will all transition to the afterlife. But what, what is different is the level of consciousness we have in this physical plane is the level of consciousness we bring with us to a particular sphere on the other side. And what I have found is, April, through my workshops, uh, people are so afraid of dying. They're terrified of dying. And there's actually a scientific name for it now called tenatophobia. And imagine that given it a name. So it is a very common thing when science has actually attributed a name to it. and. You know, there was one, one of my classes, I handed everybody out a sheet of paper and I said, okay, so lovely music in the background. Okay. I said, now's your chance. Write down the day, the date, the time, and the year you would all like to die. Oh my God. Stimness. <clears throat> Nobody, of course. And that's why if we were given the choice ourselves, April, We would never be able to say, well, I will go now after Christmas on the 2nd of January 2022. You know, we won't say that because that's why the choice, it's not our choice from the physical aspect, but from
0: the spirit aspect, it's the soul choice. Mm, So interesting. Yeah, so let's go back to the silver cord, okay? Because you mentioned this and and I have some thoughts about this. Like there was a part of me that wondered many years ago, do some people who have near-death experiences witness the silver cord because this is something that they have heard of before, right? They've read stories about it. They've heard, you know, people that have these near-death experiences that there's this silver cord that attaches them. It's been reported over and over and over again. So there's a part of me that wondered, is that just like a construct of our intellect and part of a collective consciousness thought? Because, like you had mentioned in your book, it was it's referenced somewhere in the Bible. They don't have the the passage exactly. So, you know, the fact that it was written in form and then, you know, people have these visual accounts, and that you see that on television as well. Does that then create a belief system that we will see a silver cord if we end up Passing, like, is there a true silver cord, or is this just a visual, a visualization that has kind of been talked about years after years? So when people have near death experiences, they're going to an internal reference point of comfort of something that they read and knew when they were alive, and then imagining that.
1: Okay, that's a very powerful question, April, and I could give it a thousand different answers to it, but I will try and and. First of all, you know, the silver cord, for some people, that it is, it's a new a new thing. They haven't even heard of it. Yes, others, as you said, have read it and they might reference it internally in their in mental dialogue. But the silver cord, when, for example, if I give you the analogy, a baby in a mother's womb, there is the umbilical cord. The umbilical cord nourishes the baby and gives it all the vitamins and the nutrients it needs for its growth purpose within the womb. And then when birth happens, mom and baby become individuated from each other and separate. So what we have then, when we come on Earth, we actually have a it's called the silver cord. That is our umbilical cord. That is our lifeline. It connects us to our spirit world in the afterlife. We are We never, we are never, never separated from where we have come. And the other thing, before I go further into the silver cord, we are spiritual beings and we have incarnated into a human body. We, we, this physical body is the vehicle that houses our soul. And so we are spiritual beings having this human experience and our soul has called it forth. But the silver cord is so important the silver cord is our lifeline it's our, our it's our chi it is it holds our our energy it holds our vitality it's our lifeline it's like the astronaut out into space his his tank and his tube keeps him alive and sustained while he's going through space our silver cord keeps us fed and nourished as our soul and it's connected to our soul so when we have a near death experience the silver cord; it can it travels outwards. Silver cord is limitless. I've been told it is limitless. It is it, it extends beyond beyond into the other realms from the earth plane, and the and this is not just reference because I have I would be able to tell you a wonderful story about it. So, um, the it's so important that, and then this 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 silver cord is not alone. Is it our lifeline? But we use it every single night when we have an outer body experience or some people may call it astral projection or astral travel. When we are going to sleep at night during our dream and sleep state, our soul leaves our body because our soul is is yearning for more knowledge and the soul travels into the inner planes. There, it's like sometimes if we are going to sleep and something is bothering us. Like that, if we ask, please give me the wisdom and the knowledge that I need to solve this problem or to solve this situation or what's best to do. You will, if you ask in the morning, I guarantee you, your soul will come back into your body with the answers that you seek. And so that is uh, so important. The silver cord keeps us connected. The only difference that when the silver cord disengages and snaps is when it's our time to leave the earthly. That is when we have the physical death. And I actually, in all the years I have been a spirit midwife and attending the dying, the only time I I saw it, and it it was an epiphany for me. It will remain with me like many other beautiful experiences I physically witnessed with my third, with my third eye, my Arshin chakra. Was my friend Yvette? She was. She had been diagnosed with a very advanced form of bowel cancer, and she had said to me. Maria, will you be here when it's my time for making my transition? And well, I've said, you know, now that, you know, the soul will decide who's there. That's another thing. The soul decides who's there beside your deathbed. And especially now, April, so many have not been at the bedside of their loved ones dying because of the last two years. I would really like to reassure them, nobody. Nobody dies alone, even if there is nobody in that room. I have actually witnessed incredible phenomena. It's like opening a curtain because it's such a sacred time. And I can see loved ones past coming for them. I have seen people just lean up in bed, stretch their hands out into to us it is nothing but it. They're being beckoned to go across into the afterlife, and it's just a powerful, powerful uh, phenomenon. Getting back to the silver cord with Yvette, it was when it was her time. Yes, I was there. And for two days, I held vigil with her and her husband. And it was we had gone out just for a quick break. And this is what normally can happen. You can only go for a cup of coffee or a, a toilet break and something happened. But then there is a reason for that as well, which I can explain. But we were just back into the room and she had been fine 15 minutes prior to that. She'd been fine. And I had been the spirit midwife. I had recoiled her shakras. It's a, it's a beautiful sacred process where I am guided by my guides and have been guided by whoever the person is about to try transition to close down the shakras. And then there is this sacred space, and there's a space between the two worlds opens up, and it's easier for the soul to leave the physical body at that stage. So we had walked back into the room just after about fifteen minutes, and I just knew I saw her soul rising. It was it her soul was just like a a transparent or a line across her over her, but I saw the silver cord and I saw it coming from her breast bone. I actually physically saw it. And I was just aghast because I just said, thank you, God, for this witness. And I've said it since many, many times. And what I had seen that the silver cord started to come from her breast bone and it started to, it was like silver luminescent energy and light. And it started out quite thick, but then it started to thin and thin and get thinner, like just a piece of very silvery thread. And then I saw it going to the top side of her head. And there had been a huge vortex of beautiful kind of like uh, fairy dust all around her head. It was energy. Of course, it was energy. It wasn't there. It was energy. and. Her whole head was just vibrating. This beautiful energy field within this energy field, and all of a sudden, this this silver luminescent cord that, that had gone very very thin, it just was absorbed into this energy that was floating around her head, and then she took her last breath, and Yvette was no more. So the, I have. I have witnessed it and I know I was meant to witness it because as you said, April, so much is recorded and documented and you just wonder. And I've never wondered about it because I always trust what my guides tell me. But I have been privy to a friend of mine who does so much beautiful yoga and meditation that she can actually on when she's in deep, deep meditative state. She has witnessed her her silver cord, and she has seen her silver cord while she's lying down, going around her sitting room, going up the stairs, going into the landing, even out through the roof. And yes, because it's limitless. And the only time, as I said, it disengages is when uh, it's time for us to leave the search plane.
0: All right. You made me a believer. <laughs> wow. Fascinating. Yeah. And you know, that story about Yvette too, when she yes. had asked you and you were like, yeah, well, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Yeah. And she turned to you and said, oh, you'll be there. It's
1: like, yes. And you know, April, it is some people are, they carry so much guilt and pain and anguish. They could be 24-7 at the bedside of somebody that's, uh, that's dying. But sometimes, and a lot of the times, the soul chooses who's to be there. You can have, like in Ireland, we have big families in Ireland still. And, you know, there'll be so many around the the bedside. But, well, not now in the last two years. Bless everybody that uh, has made their transition in the last two years. But, you know, sometimes maybe one person can't make it. Or that one person has stepped out to the bathroom. Or that one person has just ran home to have a shower. You know, so the soul chooses who's to be there and the soul chooses who not to be there because sometimes it can be too stressful for the soul. If there's somebody there that has been hugely attached to them, like my sister was to my mother, my younger sister, she was there. Mama, please don't die. Just wait a few more days, please, Mama. And in the end, I had to, you know, just say, Angela. You're holding her soul back. She needs to go now. So we had this chat and uh, I said, you're holding her back because my mom, mom needs energy to make her transition. It takes energy to lead the, the soul, lead the body. So she had gone. She said, OK, I'm going to go for a walk. So she went for a walk. And, you know, by the time she came back, my mother was kind of semi gone and she was able to let her go there. You know, it takes energy. But sometimes there is one of my friends and her beautiful daughter who had been diagnosed with leukemia. She um, she never left her sign. Never, never left her sign. And that day her daughter said to her, Mom, would you please go home? Please have some rest. She'd been weeks and weeks without leaving, you know, showering in the hospital, feeding in the hospital. And the daughter said, please, Mom. She only had her keys in the in the keyhole at the door when our phone rings and it was the hospital to say that her daughter had just died. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the pain and the anguish, but we worked with that afterwards. And then there was the after death communication, which I was able to guide her to meet her daughter in the spirit world of what her daughter said to her, you know, and that brought huge comfort because our loved ones, they still remain with us because love never dies. The soul is immortal and the love is infinite. The love is eternal and that never dies. So it's so important for anyone in particular in the last two years who has lost a loved one, who has not been able to be at their bedside. So important to know they can still connect with their loved one. So important to know that their love is there and that we we can open up a two way communication between the heavens and the earth. And that's also where after. And it's it's just a lovely process, April. It's just as simple as sitting in a in a quiet room, dimming the lights, lighting a beautiful candle to connect with the soul of your loved one in spirit world, and and just maybe putting on a sweater or jersey or something that was belonging to them, or you don't have to do that, or just bring a photograph and put it into your heart center, or just bring a vision of them, and just open a two way communication, heart to heart. And that's another exercise that's in in where after it's the heart link exercise. People are finding that very, very powerful.
0: Yeah. You know, I wonder your thoughts about like you had mentioned a lot of people in the past two years have died without relatives around them. You know, if, if they were in the hospital due to COVID. And I could imagine that some people listening to this might hear what you say and be angry. And say, well, but my mother and my father didn't have a choice, you know, COVID took that choice away and, you know, we didn't have the choice to be able to go into the hospital. So, you know, did my did my family member really choose to want to die alone? You know, yeah. and and again, like you had said, like I truly believe too that because I have been at the bedside of people who have transitioned, mm-hmm. and I have also experienced like the communication before they die. You know, like you said, like the arms being raised and they're mm-hmm. saying it's time for me to go. Like I, I do feel in my heart of hearts that people do not die alone. But for families to not be there physically, feeling yeah. like they could have had a choice, do you think that some of that is predestined, like the soul? the souls that have passed away during COVID um, from what you're saying would be that th- there was kind of a contract there that they knew that they would be a part of this plan. Yeah. And if you're saying the soul chooses when it exits mm-hmm. and when it dies, that that was a soul's choice. Yes.
1: And and I know it is very hard to understand this. And I have found it very hard because I have lost a lot of, uh, um, you know, friends and friends of friends during these horrendous two years. And my guides have reassured me that what, when these souls transition, be it your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your grandfather, your sister, your brother, they have what is called, they have already a soul contract, which is a collective consciousness, and it's a collective soul contract between them. And they have preordained this a long time ago before they came on Earth. It is like, they say, the 9-11. This is the what my guides have told me, the 9-11. That was a huge collective consciousness. And when this happens, a lot of the darkness that is prevailing the universe and the Earth right now, their souls brought that darkness with them. So they were being of service to humanity. Same way with the tsunami in 2004 when all those Beautiful souls were lost and it was like there was a collective, I am being reminded time and time again, there is a collective consciousness that a mass exodus of these people decide way before they come on earth that this is their purpose and that this is their way of fulfilling their sacred contract in in, in this way. So it's a mass exodus, a mass consciousness. It's a group soul decision that they agree on, that they will go to the other side, but they will bring this darkness. There is a lot of negativity, a lot of heavy energy, and they bring that with them. So they are they are of service to God, to humanity. They are doing cervical service work for humanity, if that makes sense to you, April
0: yeah that's very interesting, you know and you know the way that you put it too just going back in time and in history and knowing that there are kind of like these mass exits of yes you know many people that are are passing away that's just it's really interesting it's an interesting way to to look at it and to put it into perspective yeah, thank you thank you for answering that um I know I promised the viewers in the beginning and the listeners that I was I wanted you to share how you helped your mom cross over because you were talking a little bit earlier about that. And uh, that is what I believe we would call a shared death experience. I have interviewed some people about that. And again, that is just really phenomenal. I've only spoke to a couple of people uh, personally who have had a shared death experience like yourself. And I just think that it's really important to share those stories. So could you share that story about helping your mom cross over?
1: Okay. My mom, bless my mom for the last four years of her life. She had Alzheimer's. So, um, I had this beautiful way of being able to connect with her soul to soul. And because her her language had stopped and uh, all she could say was, thank you. No, thank you. You know, Okay, so. So um, she always, April, she was always, if you asked her even years, 20 years prior to her death, you'd say, Mama, what would you like for when you die now? What way would you like to go? Well, you know, would you, what would you like? Would you like a big party? You know, would you like a jemison on top of the coffin? Would you like a Jimison through a straw if you're unconscious? You know, this was the the fun that we used to have around her. And always she would get so angry and cross. She would get so angry and cross. She did not want to know anything about death. She did not want to make any plans about her. It was as if it was. It scared her beyond words. I. I have seen people afraid to die, but my mother resisted dying so much, and even in her last uh, few weeks, and it was an incredible experience because I was able to connect. She was she was a, she was in a deep deep coma for four days, and she was very there was nothing happening, and it was even the palliative care team that came to our home they they couldn't understand you know they they had given her max two days. And you know, like that, I had a sister tried to hold on to her and uh, sitting in the bed beside her and just holding her and I don't go. So, but then that evening I had, I had asked for a sacred space in my, in my mother's room. And I had asked everyone if they didn't mind that we would leave. So I connected with her soul and my angels and guides connected with her angels and guides. And it was, I was guided April that I needed to bring her on the journey. Now, she's not the only one I have done this with, but I was uh, guided and invited by her soul after receiving permission that it's okay to do this. And I brought her on this deep, deep soul to soul meditation where I brought her not, I knew my mother would go through no tunnel. So I asked God if he could place a bridge of light before us so that my mother could step onto it. And then the the beautiful deep journey as we, you know, as I brought her kind of into her soul, into her soul essence, the journey where the bridge was placed before us and we started to walk together. And then midway on this bridge, I'm I'm seeing it now like I'm looking at you, April. And there was Mother Mary and my mother had not alone had I a huge connection with Mother Mary, but my mother had and she was in Lourdes in France many times. So her devotion to Mother Mary was huge in a very religious way. Mine would be spiritual, my mother's was religious. And it was, incre- their, Mother Mary was there and I said, now Mama, Mother Mary is there to take you and, and it's time to go, don't be afraid. And She looked at me and she kind of resisted my mother and she held my hands. This was all spiritually happening. And I said, it's okay. You're okay to go now and we are going to be okay. We will look after each other. So it was like I I felt me and my hand, placing my hand within the hand of Mother Mary. And with that, my mother took her hand and she looked behind as if to say, do I really have to go? And I said, yes, mom, it's time. Yes, you do. And then I got this beautiful vision. There, I said, then I saw this vision. I saw my father on the left-hand side of the bridge and my brother, Joseph, the ba- her baby on the right-hand side. And I, when she looked back, I said, mama, look, look where you're going. Look who's waiting for you. And with that, she smiled and she went a few steps in this vision and then everything just went into beautiful golden light. Everything. Everything. And then within three hours of that happening, my mother, she actually she sat up in bed after being in the coma for four days, April, and her face fixated on a spot in the room. And a smile came on her face and she lay back now on the bed but it, that was such a beautiful experience and it for me unfortunately other members of my family didn't they witnessed her sitting up in the bed but they like that they're very dubious about you know my work and and my I think they're afraid of me because I might tell them something at the door Yeah. in here <laughs> <Sorry>.
0: yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful oh, yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I was able to do the same, Rachel, with the, he was one of my oldest, he became a client in, in his latter years, but he was in his late 70s and he used to go to, to most of the night classes and he just loved, and he was in a very, very strict Catholic upbringing and you know, he just loved the night classes. And I love the male energy within the night classes as well. I love the balance of divine masculine, by feminine. It's very, very important to have that balance. And I'm I'm always very lucky and blessed. But one of the, he rang me at one stage and he says, Marielle, I'm in a bit of bother. I need to see you. So I says, okay. So he came to see me and he told me he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he had six weeks to live. And then that, because there had been so much disharmony within his family over land, as we do in Ireland, and families fall out for 40, 50 years and the rift has never been healed. You know, so this man, I was really guided that I asked him to, I was told by his spirit guides that he needs to save his energy, save his energy, not to put it back into the past, but to save it for his next few few weeks, and that the energy must go into healing and forgiveness. So there was a huge, I was then guided with his permission, of course, and his sole permission to bring him on a journey, a different one than my mother now, but into the afterlife where he was actually going. And 40 years prior to that, April, he had fallen out with his father over land. The land was given to the oldest brother, even though the oldest brother had no regard or respect for the land, whereas my client loved the land. But, and he so he decided he was going to leave Ireland and leave the land behind him. And the morning he was leaving, he had his tickets bought for the boat. That time it was the boat and his little suitcase. And uh, the father says, what am I going to do with the land? Don't leave me. And my client said, well, leave me the land, put it in my name and I will work it and I'll make it. Um, you know, fertile, and I will raise the cattle and raise the sheep. And the father says, "Okay." So, so my client turned around that morning from the gate, and 15 years later, the land still hadn't been so sent, you know, registered over. To him. So he left. He left with nothing, and here we are, all these 40 years later, and the healing that needed to be done before he passed. So. I was really guided to bring him on this journey into the afterlife. And there, later he met his father because he told us to me afterwards. He met his father. Father said he was sorry for his wrongdoings, for what he had done. And he asked him to forgive him. And what my client said afterwards, when he kind of came around from his uh, beautiful vision on the other side, he put his hands up across his neck and he says, Christ, Marielle, he says, I, I've been the grandest place. He says, not alone, he says, did I meet my father. He says, but he says, I met my two favorite sheepdogs. And I said, so what was their name? Bonnie and Clyde, right? So he he knew and he was asked, his father asked him to make peace with the brother that he had not spoken for in over 40 years. And that day he left my healing room. And bless him, I knew, he said, I now know what I need to do. And his wife rang me six weeks, well, five weeks later. And he said that he had passed, he passed. He had made friends and peace and forgiveness with the brother. And that he passed very peacefully and he had no fear of dying. So these are beautiful stories. I mean, there are so many stories, April. they're not in anywhere after. But I have to hear in my heart because yeah. they're all very precious.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing all of these beautiful stories. It was just really wonderful to speak with you and to have this conversation and I'm so glad that my listeners got to hear some of these stories that aren't in the book, but I still think that they should buy the book. It's called Where After by Marielle Ford Clark. And how can people get a hold of you or find you or get more information about where to buy the book? I know most of the books are on Amazon and and stuff like that, but do you want to let people know your website and how they can get okay. in touch?
1: Thank you so much, April. My website is uh, www.marielfordsclark.com and all the social media platforms are there like Instagram, Facebook and um, Twitter. And th- there's links to that for, for contacting me. And like that, John Hunt Publishing has the book and it all, all the Amazon
0: sites have where after as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It really was a blessing to speak with you. I just feel like you gave me and hopefully my listeners so much, you know, inspiration and peace about this evidence that you've collected throughout the years about the afterlife. So thank you again so much beautiful having you here and thank you everyone for listening and for those of you um, who like to see who i'm speaking to you can watch this at path11tv.com for free we have the video podcasts up there and uh, i hope you all have a wonderful day take care everyone blessings namaste Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 tv Visit pap to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com, and be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.